0: You are listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. My name is Ed Frank. I am NCBA's Senior Director of Policy Communications, and joining us this week in a special podcast are Ethan Lane, NCBA's Vice President of Government Affairs, and Kent Backus, Senior Director of International Trade and Market Access, and they are joining us from two separate terminals at Heathrow International Airport in London, England. Ethan and Kent, thanks for joining us from so far abroad.
1: Thanks for having us, Ed. Yeah, happy to be here.
0: All right, Ethan, what the heck are you guys doing in London?
1: (laughs) You know, uh, there's always new opportunities, and with all of the trade wins we've had over the last year, uh, we're always looking for that next opportunity to expand market access for our producers. Uh, Ken's been laying the groundwork uh, for quite some time uh, in anticipation of the Brexit uh, that we've seen in the last few weeks. That presents a real opportunity for us. Uh, to, to get into uh, uh, those, those uh, key decision-makers here in the U.K. Uh, as our government and the U.K. government starts to uh, discuss what a trade deal might look like now that they're no longer uh, uh, connected to those uh, prior commitments under the European Union. So the timing just was sort of right for us to start that conversation. Uh, this, is a, this is a long process. Um, there's political motivations on both sides. Um, but you know the fact that they started these negotiations this week, the fact that the UK released their principles this week, uh, the timing was really was really perfect for uh, Kent and I to go over there and and begin to establish a little bit of a beachhead and some relationships, um, so that uh, our larger uh, our larger uh, association uh, leadership can uh, go in and really get some work done here over the next few months.
0: Yeah, and as you mentioned, I guess the UK put out this week uh, a a list of principles or a a statement of principles. It's like 186 pages long. Um, I looked through some of that, and one of the things I I was reading a Politico, Politico article um, the other day. And uh, Senator Grassley, <coughs> excuse me, from Iowa, um, reacted to that. And, the, and the, ne- the negotiating objectives that were released on Monday said that any trade deal with the U.S. must uphold the U.K.'s high level of public animal and plant health, including food safety. Um, and Politico said that suggests U.S. beef, pork, and poultry producers could gain little or no additional market access because of U.K. concern over U.S. production practices, including the use of certain veterinary drugs and anti anti-micro- antimicrobials. Microbial rinses, Kent. I mean, this sounds like. I mean, you know, we this is the problem that we had with the EU. All of these non tariff trade barriers um, that are not based in science, um, Kent. What are, what can we do to sort of knock this down? Is this just a sort of a, a preliminary negotiating negotiation tactic by Boris Johnson and in the in the UK? How can we knock down these non tariff trade barriers with the UK? The same ones that we had with the EU.
1: Well, I think you've got to keep in mind that, you know, British consumers have lived under 40 years of EU rules, and so they're kind of conditioned to accept some of these non-science-based trade standards. And what we're here to do is to to educate the decision-makers and the agencies that are going to be directly involved with these trade negotiations and just explain and, you know, dispel all the rumors out there that our production practices are unsafe, and that uh, the key technologies that we have used for, in some cases, over 50 years are going to be harmful for British consumers. We also talked about our high animal welfare standards and all of our best practices here. Uh, we also took this opportunity to talk about our, uh, you know, the fact that we have such a low footprint when it comes to the environment, and the fact that our producers do it right, and that uh, British consumers, British government should not be worried about how we produce beef because we want, to, we want to deliver the same high quality beef that we sell to U.S. consumers. We want to deliver that right here in the U.K. And so that's really what this week's meetings were about was to you know, let them know that we want to be good trade partners. We want to respect their concerns, but we also have a good story to tell. We have a good product to share with them, we just want the opportunity to be able to do that. One thing I would add to that, you know, the, the political story failed to mention that in that same list of objectives, uh, the, the British government outlined that they are really prioritizing diversifying choice for British consumers, and that was something that was pointed out to us uh, in all of our meetings in Parliament uh, as well as at the uh, at the British federal agencies. Um, so <clears throat> there's more to the story than just that that line, and obviously as we read through that that report, it came out the first day we were in London, and so we were pouring over it. Uh, you know, on our on our laptop, trying to gain as much information as possible. Uh, there's there's much more to the story there. And, and across the board, the meetings we had uh, were with folks who reinforced us that uh, they they view this as an opportunity.
0: Yeah. So as we go forward, I guess formal negotiations are probably going to kick off in the short term. They're looking to get something done this year. Um what can we expect uh, going forward in terms of negotiations? Uh, I know you guys met with members of parliament. You met with a bunch of people this week. Um, wh- what does this look like? What Kent? Can, can you just sort of lay out, you know, a, a general time frame and when we can expect something, uh, some progress on this?
1: Well, I think it's important to remember that you know while they're negotiating their trade deal with the European Union, they're also going to engage directly with the United States, and I think just given the affinity that uh, both countries have for each other that close relationship i think we could see these negotiations move fairly quickly uh you know i think the there's a lot of excitement uh over here in britain for a, a potential trade agreement with the united states and i think that the, you know there's equal amount of excitement uh in the halls of congress and, and throughout uh, the united states uh, so i you know i could see this actually moving fairly quickly you know unlike some of the the other trade partners where we've had some some really tough negotiations this is a different relationship and I think there is room to build on the trust that already exists and to really expedite these negotiations as quickly as possible but the important thing is to make sure that you know agriculture is represented and to make sure that beef is part of that conversation because as we said we've got a great story to tell we have a great product to share with British consumers and we can't wait to, uh, to have that opportunity
0: All right. Sounds good. We're looking forward to the progress. And as always, um, part of negotiation is, you know, relationship building um, and research into the local market. Um, Are you guys able to share any information about the best scotch that you found while you were uh, overseas this week?
1: You know, we we sampled uh, a few different scotches while we were there. Um, And and, but we also went to a lot of uh, beef restaurants. Uh, Kent and I, uh really spent some time during our meal times uh, over the course of the past few days uh either being uh, 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 being hosted by uh some of the uh the, the beef industry uh, uh decision makers and players there in the UK uh, uh and also seeking out opportunities on our own. And and what we what we see is that, that there is a lot of shared palette. There's a lot of shared experience as Kent mentioned earlier. Um, you know, it, it's really interesting that the consumers in the UK are seeking out more and more products that are very similar to what we are. Um, and that, that, that shared uh, taste is, is something that's really going to be interesting to watch play out through this trade deal. Uh, we heard more than once frustration about the, uh, the tariff, the high tariff rate on scotch going into the United States. Uh, I can tell you that, that bourbon uh, was much more expensive. American bourbon was much more expensive uh, in the U.K. than we would expect to see the same brands in the United States. Um, and, uh, you know, the places where we had American beef, we had some really, really good, uh, USDA Prime Nebraska, uh, fed beef in, uh, uh, in a steakhouse the other night, uh, alongside some of the grass-fed product, uh, that's, that's being produced in the Lake District, uh, uh outside of, uh, in the UK. And, and it's really interesting because they're very different products, uh, and, and the taste of the, uh, of the, the grass-fed that they're producing over there, um, you know, is, is, very different. And it, and it gives us some, um, some real opportunity to offer consumers over there something dramatically different than, than they're really used to on a large scale. Yeah, and one thing I'd add to that is you have a very sophisticated consumer base here. And I think this is a consumer base that wants to know a lot about the food that they're eating. Not that they're concerned, it's just they're curious. And I think that because we have such diversity in U.S. beef production, we have different breeds, we have different production practices, uh, we have different regions, you know, we have beef production in all, all 50 states, I think we have a real opportunity to highlight that and to celebrate that here with British consumers. Uh, this, will be a, uh, this will be a market where we're going to have to uh, provide a lot of outreach and education about our product, about how to prepare it, um, and how to enjoy it. But I think this is a, a consumer base that is looking for that. They're looking for that variety. They're looking for that quality. They're looking for that story, and that's exactly what U.S. Beef has to offer. Yeah, that's, that's really true. And, and Tim's right. You know, we've eaten a lot of beef this week and we've eaten very little beef that wasn't outlined on the menu to explain exactly what it was. I mean, we've eaten limousine, we've eaten shorthorn, uh, Angus, and, and they're, they're very proud of the different, the different breeds and, and they're very proud of where, uh, these things have been raised, uh, different districts of the country and different production practices. Uh, and it's, it's something we've kind of gotten used to over the last couple of days is just expecting that you're going to get a fairly detailed pedigree of what it is, uh, what it is they're serving you uh, in these restaurants. And that was uh, something Kent and I were, I think, pretty fascinated by.
0: All right. Sounds good. Well, hopefully they will have more choice uh, for American-produced beef in the future. So, Ethan and Kent, thank you for joining us from Heathrow Airport in London, England. Safe travels. Um, bring back some scotch. Don't bring back coronavirus, please tomorrow. All right. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to Beltway Beef. Until next week, eat beef. Check us out online at policy.ncba.org and follow us on Twitter at at Beltway Beef. Thanks for listening.